What makes us postmodern are our psychologies, our attitudes, our dispositions towards the world postmodern ones? Or are we simply still modern? Well, to find out, we have to return briefly to last week's question. What is it that makes us modern? The modern attitude was characterised by a belief in progress and improvement, in self-reflection based on evidence, but it was also defined by new time and space technologies like the clock, like maps and measuring devices. This allowed cooperation because they standardised the world and made it communicable to others, but they also make the world more complex. We have to specialise, choose which path to follow, and trust experts more than ever. But I think one thing in particular typifies the modern attitude. Control. The safety, the lives of all his passengers, depend on the skill and watchfulness of the locomotive engineer. Sociologist Anthony Giddens described living in the modern world as being more like being aboard a careering juggernaut rather than being in a carefully controlled and well-driven motor car. We can drive to some extent, but the juggernaut also threatens to career out of control. It might not even be in one piece. The carriages, wheels, drivers and desires of the passengers and the engineers all push and pull the juggernaut in different directions, at different intensities and speeds. But Giddens still insisted that we live in a modern world, not a postmodern one. Does that mean that someone really is still at the wheel, in control? Okay, first, we should ask what we mean by control. We might think of control as being free to decide what to do, or as having the power to act, to move things, to command people, objects or ideas, to make plans and then carry them out. Throughout the medieval period, it was kings and noblemen and to some extent the church that wielded the most power, that could command armies and make laws. Control was in the hands of the few. After the Enlightenment, things became more complicated. On the one hand, control was democratised as more people participated in making decisions. As capitalism developed, businesses had more control over resources and workers, an intellectual elite emerged that, with the aids of developments like the printing press, had control over ideas. The people slowly claimed more power too, the power to vote, to protest, to influence laws through activism or trade unions. But above all, it was the state that had ultimate authority through its monopoly on violence, when pushed, the state had the final say. Most obviously, states controlled infrastructure, some key industries like mining. They controlled businesses and people through regulation and law. 
to return to Giddens' juggernaut metaphor. States literally laid the tracks, decided in what capacity they could be operated, and in some cases actually ran the trains. Three things in particular have changed all this. The fall of the Soviet Union, the emergence of neoliberalism, and globalisation. All of these things have weakened state control and planning, disempowered the role of intellectuals in making decisions, and strengthened businesses and corporations. Globalisation, as we saw in the last video, means that things on one side of the world the price of resources, the shutting of a factory, a Wall Street crash, the eruption of a volcano, has direct consequences for things on the other side of the world. People are pushed and pulled around like puppets. Ash clouds, seen here in a satellite photo from Umetsat, have disrupted air travel as flights were stopped across Europe. Authorities have closed airspace over Britain, Ireland and the Nordic countries. Individuals and politicians have less control over these events. A state regulator has less power in threatening taxation or regulation of a large company if they threaten to move their operations, quickly and easily, to another country. Prices and plans are determined by mining, resource movement or an unpredictable war. There are so many factors affecting one another that individuals and groups cannot possibly have command over all of them. Economies become unmanageable, we become impotent, there is no master blueprint, no meta-narrative. Sociologist Klaus Off writes that the dominant pattern might be described as releasing the brakes, deregulation, liberalisation, flexibility, increased fluidity and facilitating transactions on financial real estate and labour markets, easing the tax burden, etc. Transnational corporations wield unprecedented levels of power. They're able to influence events more than governments, both at home and abroad, and have larger budgets than almost every nation on Earth. As plans, blueprints and meta-narratives lose their legitimacy, the state loses its legitimacy to do anything too. Grand old philosophers like Kant, Marx or Mill don't have any postmodern equivalents in influencing events. We deregulate, privatise and dismantle the last vestiges of decaying welfare states. Postmodern life is like driving a car in traffic. The traffic depends not so much on one person's control, but on a million unpredictable choices. Turn left, slow down, crash, change direction, change location, pick up, drop off. Speed limits, regulation, driving tests, modern phenomena have some effect, but ultimately the factors that make up the most impact are the ambiguous and unpredictable ones. We could take self-driving cars as a literal representation of the juggernaut metaphor. Is anyone at the wheel? The postmodern answer is no. Algorithms, code, mathematical modelling and stock market trends have taken control out of the hands of real people, real flesh and physical brains. Decisions are no longer made in the town square or at council meetings or in boardrooms even, but instead are manipulated and directed in cryptic corners of cyberspace. But this process affects us personally every day too. We no longer have one single map 
one single plan, one single blueprint, like the Ordnance Survey map, but are bombarded with different maps, different apps. There's no universally recognised system. We have a GPS app, a city map app, a tourist map, a virtual mixed reality map. The same goes for media outlets, weather apps, recipes, photo apps, messaging apps. We're inundated with choices. We become paralysed by choice. Time becomes disjointed too. Simple work hours with an inside and an outside symbolised by the clocking in system become blurred. We work from home more, we work on holiday, we work in coffee shops, we work at family outings, answering emails on our phones. Job security is more precarious as companies move their operations around. Family time, holiday time, work time, they all overlap. We're affected more and more by things outside our time zones, halfway around the world. Modern media ordered us, provided schedules, a few choices. The library organised books into schemas, into categories. Now everything's on demand. There is no categorization process. We create our own. We're the curators of our own experience. I believe in this world to come. I think it's going to be a pretty good world. But I've been asked to tell you about television, so I'll trim the philosophizing. Television is most certainly here to stay. It's going to brighten the world of your home. But more important to many of you, it's going to create a lot of new jobs. Now, none of us like crystal gazing, so let's take a look at what is actually happening now. What does this mean for our postmodern attitude? In short, we find it difficult to plan, to organize, to predict. We are both more in control of some choices and less in control of others. Authority and guidance become less trustworthy. We're no longer babysitted. We're no longer guided by priests. Life is much more chaotic. So what happened to advice? To those who supposedly knew what they were doing? The experts that we used to trust? Material progress, which has given man so many new conveniences, has at the same time speeded up the tempo of his life. But with the acceleration of his existence has come a nervous tension, which is the outstanding feature of our age. Dissatisfaction and boredom with the daily routines of life are increasingly apparent. And no matter how streamlined the design of modern living, everyday tasks in the 20th century are often regarded with distaste. Planning the future, organising people to build, to produce, to develop, is most fundamentally a matter of communication. Effective communication with others requires, of course, a common language, standardised measurements, codes, categories and agreeing to do things at specific times and in specific places. The philosophers, politicians and aristocrats of the Enlightenment shared a loose vocabulary, a set of assumptions and goals which meant an alliance between state, intellectuals and capitalists was possible. Information and ideas were exchanged through a republic of letters, 
Philosophers help the state design prisons, workhouses, cities, hospitals and gardens. The philosopher Jeremy Bentham designed a prison, for example. Mill was a member of parliament. Revolutionaries wanted to act out history based on Marx's principles. Modern life was meant to fit together like a jigsaw. This relationship has fractured. In modern society, tastes, values, designs and ideas are so broad, diverse, specialised and subject to quick change that agreement and consensus becomes impossible. Bad, worse, seen it, not right now, don't feel like that. We search for advice, top 10 films, best lasagna recipe, must-see tourist destinations, whether to wear masks, which car insurance, only to find that no one agrees on anything. One choice becomes as good as any other. Individuals are left wandering and searching on their own. The sociologist Zygmunt Bauman, famous for trying to understand postmodernity, wrote, one can learn how to express oneself as a modern, liberated, carefree woman or as a thoughtful, reasonable, caring housewife, or as an up-and-coming, ruthless and self-confident tycoon, or as an easy-going, likeable fellow, or as an outdoor, physically fit macho man, or as a romantic, dreamy and love-hungry creature, or as any mixture of all or some of these. No one can become an expert in anything though. There's too much information. Ever more specialisation is key. You can no longer be a historian, but must be a historian of children's fashion in Vienna in the 1880s. Scientific findings change from week to week. Red wine is bad, then good, then bad, but for different reasons. Masks are effective, then they're not, then they're effective again. What does this mean for our postmodern attitude? We don't know who to trust. We have no guidance. We're constantly searching. We're wandering in the desert, as Bauman has put it. We have more control and choice in many areas, but no yardstick, no criteria for making those choices. Does this lead to nihilism? To paralysis? To pessimism? During the, the past 50 years, all the arts have had to accept the triumph of the machine. Traditional forms of painting and sculpture have no function in our streamlined existence. If they are to find a place in the civilization of the next half century, the visual arts must effect a compromise with the machine. Oh, terrible. That could be better. That could be interpreted in a different way. That's not clear enough. I didn't mean to say that. Is the postmodern world inherently pessimistic? Does a lack of control, a lack of legitimate advice and a lack of leadership lead to a despondent type of psychology? When data can be interpreted in countless ways, when any situation can lead to a variety of results, when ideas, beliefs and values can no longer be adopted rationally, when there are no longer any guarantees of improvement and no more teleology, no goal that we're moving towards, no heaven, no utopia, no scientific solution to every problem, every illness, every malady. Where do we go from here? 
science creates new risks for every problem it solves. Good intentions have unintended consequences. Nuclear power, nuclear accidents, nuclear waste, fossil fuels, global warming, flooding, lung disease, plastic bottles, litter, the devastation of ecosystems, hospitals, superbugs, cars, road accidents. Biological, chemical and nuclear weapons become a pervasive threat, existentially hanging over all of our heads. And science also created asbestos cement roofing, which has made buildings safer and more durable. This material, available in many types and colors, is not only attractive, but fireproof too. It was natural that the scientists would turn to asbestos, for this is a remarkable mineral. And too, the great success of asbestos, combined with Portland cement, made it a natural choice in research for a better siding. Chernobyl, the ozone layer, AIDS, terrorism, mad cow disease, all made worse because of globalization. Tragic events, pandemics, climate change, financial bubbles have all become magnified. Where the Enlightenment was characterized by optimism, post-modernity might be said to be laced with pessimism. It's demonstrated that no matter how much we try to order our lives, our societies, order our plans, something always slips through the gaps. Biases, prejudice, the outsider, the thing that doesn't quite fit into the plan, all persist. Rather than universal global emancipation, we regress into isolated nationalisms, fear and anxiety. Values become contested. Marriage, nation, family, work, tradition, nature. They no longer mean what they used to mean, they're used, misused, reinterpreted, deconstructed and rejected, they become empty shells. Take just one example, marriage. Traditionally, marriage was not about love but about economic necessity, community care and reproduction. Love, falling in love, is a very modern idea. Modern marriage becomes about improvement, joy, adventure, passion. While some elements of traditionalism are retained for their usefulness, the idea of building a life together is a very modern one. Planning, improvement, progress, control. Frank is a businessman. Practical, responsible, sensible. He thinks of things in terms of cause and effect. As a modern, he even thinks about marriage that way. Years ago, the marriage deal worked if the husband was sober and brought home the paycheck every week. If the wife was faithful and produced a house full of children. Frank knows it doesn't quite work that way anymore. Under post-modernity, though, the value of marriage itself becomes questioned. Something to be discarded. People want fewer or no children. Divorce rates skyrocket. Polyamory returns. Alternative lifestyles become popular. In the same way, work becomes the gig economy, zero-hour contracts as companies prioritise flexible employment, quick turnover speeds, the ability to flexibly move capital and operations as conditions change. Production is no longer about large-scale Fordist factory lines, but smaller, swappable components, and that includes people. 
Take your choice. Each one is real, each one is possible. Order has come. Order and life together. We've got the skill, we've found the way. We've built the cities. All that we know about machines and soils and raw materials and human ways of living is waiting. We can reproduce the pattern and better it a thousand times. It's here, the new city, ready to serve a better age. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. As we become victims of unpredictability, speed and pessimism, philosophies like stoicism return. We all become responsible for our own lives, identity becomes difficult, change becomes more normal than stability. What does this mean for our postmodern attitude? We live in an age of psychological extremes. Pessimism and excitement, stoicism and utopianism, scientific possibility and scientific risk. We are, it could be said, schizophrenic. Each day as thousands of persons visit the chain stores in their neighborhoods, their journey carries them past powerful messages advantageously placed on nearby poster panels. So where are we going if there's no plan? Modernity means the planning and building of factories, housing, food, medicines and products based on simple needs. But for Bauman, post-modernity is defined less by production and more by consumption. You're not what you do, but what you consume. We're defined by our music tastes, the games we play, global trends, accessories, clothes, even health and fitness become personalized. Postmodernity is driven less by reason and more by desire, by adverts that are designed to pull us in and activate a craving. Bauman writes that, Seductive impulses, to be effective, must be transmitted in all directions and addressed indiscriminately to everybody who will listen. Shopping malls, Las Vegas, Disney World, they all seem ordered on the outside, but it's a facade designed to draw us in, to encourage the short-term pursuit of pleasure with no real long-term goal. News gets traction through clickbait, through appeals to emotion, to shock and awe. We see the worst news because it's the most shocking and the best because it's the cutest or the most heartwarming and whatever's in between gets lost. It's either ISIS or kittens. Politics is left to desires too. We like big characters, joke tellers with charisma and screen presence. We're moved from politicians making plans based on their own ideas to politicians just being led by polling. Bauman writes that the consumption of political platforms and the making of decisions on controversial issues are guided by the advanced consideration of the relative popularity of the intended move and careful calculation of the anticipated electoral gains and losses. For the rest of us, politics becomes a matter of campaign politics. Goals become fractured into divisible elements rather than any overall ideology or meta-narrative. 
stopping a train line, banning trucks from driving through a village, campaigning for a new road, micro-level issues dominate. Again, global issues and international projects disintegrate into nationalisms, isolation and local independence movements. We're driven by issues that are personal to us, that tug on our heartstrings by news that either makes us go, ah, or makes us go, ah, or Aah. What does this mean for our postmodern attitude? We're desensitized. We've seen the funniest cat video and the worst possible atrocities. We're led by our desires, our emotions, and the world is too. Yes, we are still modern. We still try to think logically and rationally and make plans, but emotions and unpredictability have returned. We have to go with our gut, pursue what's most pleasurable, and always be on the search for new tastes. Okay, this all sounds quite negative. Difficulty in planning, predicting, a lack of control and trust, schizophrenia, less confidence in guidance, more responsibility placed on our shoulders, both to look after ourselves and to choose for ourselves. We're seduced by drives, by advertising. Emotions become as important as reason. How can we possibly make sense of all this? Where are we heading? Bauman has written that history has become a playground of the contingent, the unexpected, the fortuitous, the capricious, the underdetermined and the unpredictable. For the moderns, time had a definite, progressive orientation towards bigger and better, a forwards and backwards, a future and the past. Built in the middle of the 19th century, Leeds Town Hall has the word forward engraved in it. The planners had no doubt which way forward was. Sartre, the last philosopher of modernity, was interested in building progressive, orderly, free and rational life projects. Bauman writes that instead, the dominant sentiment now is the feeling of a new type of uncertainty, not limited to one's own luck and talents, but concerning as well the future shape of the world, the right way of living in it, and the criteria by which to judge the rights and wrongs of the way of living. He likens being postmodern to being either a tourist or a vagabond, always exploring and wandering, looking around the next corner both digitally and physically. We no longer have definitive guided tours or sacred destinations. We're not pilgrims. Instead, we're more like modern explorers, searching our own subjective experience, our own desires, our own sense of place colonial explorers of our own minds, maybe. We're all nomads, wandering, searching, deconstructing, looking for meaning and belonging. We hardly need to be reminded that we live in a world that is becoming more complicated and more crammed with information every day. One description for this vast quantity of data on everything from the lifetime earning records of an individual to the beeps and pulses relayed to Earth from a space satellite uses that overworked word, explosion. This time, an information explosion. The postmodern condition defies any single interpretation. 
It's dizzying, contradictory, and by its nature, difficult to pin down. This has been one of many possible narratives, and one that at times has maybe seemed pessimistic. But postmodernity opens up as many avenues as it closes. We might have no guides, no priests, less legitimate leadership, but the steel cage of certainty and oppressive authority becomes more difficult to justify and sustain itself too. Yes, we're pushed and pulled around by emotion, desire, advertising and consumerism, but those same drives are the ones that sustain the drive to create new values, new ideas and new ways of living. We're schizophrenic, uncertain, wandering, yet the future is possibly more open than ever. Are we destined to balance the mentalities of modernity and postmodernity? Are we both modern and postmodern at the same time? Or are we just at the edge of a new horizon? Is something new about to make both attitudes obsolete? Out of research and experiments such as these may come the major breakthroughs in man's ability to develop and control systems of increasing magnitude. And thus, the technology of automated data processing contributes to man's attempt to bring order out of the unknown, extending the boundaries of human knowledge. If you've enjoyed this exploration of modernity and postmodernity, it's part of ongoing research for a postmodernity project looking at the history and the emergence of the concept an in-depth look at how it originated and the conditions that created it so if you want updates about that if you want to read about that if you want to join the conversation about that you can do so over at patreon and on discord and get your name in the credits and help me out making new videos thanks to all these people remember to hit like share subscribe thanks so much for watching i'll see you next time